Entrepreneurs and tech up-and-comers bring fresh ideas to the forefront that can benefit everyone. But gaining traction in the marketplace and buy-in from the government sector is a challenge. My guests on this episode of Future Groove are experts in brokering small business and government relations and are here to share lessons learned from years of work in think tanks and on Capitol Hill. They recently launched their own consulting firm to help startups engage with institutions on productive terms. They champion progress. Nothing is formulaic. Now they're sharing their wisdom with Downey students who are cultivating their own critical thinking skills and building credibility as future leaders. I'm John Harris, and you're listening to Future Groove. Jason and Mary, welcome to Future Groove. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Today we're talking small business. Uh, in society and the importance of understanding and managing uh, the relationships that they have with government, both at the local and national levels. But before we get into all of that and where you are right now and working in that sphere, I'd like to know a little bit about your stories. How did you, uh, how did you navigate to this uh, space of working in governance and uh, developing relationships with government? Mary, you want to take this one first? Sure. Um, my name is Mary Jones. I'm COO of Terrapin Strategy with Jason Fry. Um, I'm calling you from Arlington, Virginia, where I recently relocated to. I've lived in the prior to that. I've lived in the D.C. area for about ten years, and after graduating, kind of discuss our presidential library <laughs> discussion that was happening prior to the call. I graduated from Texas A&M University in political science. Moved up here started working in the policy and academic think tank area. I worked for Brookings. I moved over to a law school. And then I eventually moved over to another think tank called Mercatus, where I met Jason. And we worked on the outreach team and went back to the law school I was working at, managing another nonprofit academic center. And then just decided it was time to branch out and try to help other people outside of a narrow focus to really help people navigate the space and barriers they run into when they're working with the government. That's when Jason and I started working together again. Yeah, we got, we got the band back together. And yes, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I'm calling from Stillwater, Minnesota. And if you're familiar with the Twin Cities area, I'm about 25 miles east of there. Um, I'm closer to Wisconsin than I am Minnesota. And this is where we're from originally. And when I'm a freshman in college, I'm, you know, the world is your oyster you know, everything's been opened up in front of you. Um, and then on my fourth day of college, September 11th happened. And I was already in school to go for political science. That was going to be my major. That was always going to be my focus. DC and, you know, working in this space was always the goal. But there was a little bit of a detour that I wasn't quite expecting. And so I go, of course, to fight the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and never did and only uh, deployed to Iraq a couple of times. And when I, you know, started to evolve, you know, politically or sort of understanding what government meant and the role of government in my life and where I sort of saw it going, nothing changed what that trajectory was going to be. And so as soon as I got out of the Marines and started a family, immediately started, you know, set my eyes towards the nation's capital and started looking at, you know, okay, well, I've got kind of a non-traditional background, um, you know, where, you know, how do I make it work? And, you know, I find myself, you know, working in uh, as a caseworker in Congress and then worked on the policy side once I finally got to D.C. in 2012. 
and then, you know, became a legislative director. And then I decided to jump off the hill. I asked for five years. I did seven. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I like this Mercatus Center. And that's where I met Mary. And then uh, we sort of split, right? About the same time you went to Texas, I went back to Minnesota, um, worked on the corporate side of government affairs. And then we've moved into sort of this new space of, you know, consulting uh, startup role in governance. And and so it's a, a bit of a new experience for each of us, but we've got, you know, all this experience behind us. Uh, so it's not like we're starting over from scratch, right? We're just kind of learning um, the ropes on this side, which is a little bit different. So yeah, that's kind of how we uh, we got to here. That's great. Thank you. I, You know, as a former government teacher in high school, I couldn't help but think as I kind of reviewed uh, your work and the word uh, lobbyist came to mind. And uh, of course, my mind went to the First Amendment. One area of the First Amendment that's not thought about very much, we always think about the freedom of religion, speech, press, peaceable assembly, but there is that, uh, that small uh, little last part of the First Amendment that uh, says that, you know, the first part starts with Congress shall make no law respecting, but the last part is the right of the people to petition the government for redress of grievances. And that really is kind of at the heart of lobby work. And it seems to me like you're taking a little bit of a non-traditional role towards developing relationship with government, both local and uh, national. Tell us a little bit about that and that, that work and why it's important. Absolutely. We don't like to call ourselves uh, lobbyists, uh, as you as you can probably assume why. There's some reasons why people may be frustrated with like the, the, the situation around lobbying at the federal and state and local level. We prefer, you know, government relations. And you had mentioned that term. And I think that where we sort of understand it, you know, and only Mary deals with the redresses and grievances. I only deal with the fun stuff, <laughs> but is that... That, you know, a redress or a grievance from a constituent's perspective may not always be a negative. There might be an incredible technology. There might be something new that, you know, government has never seen before. And something that we talk a lot about is, you know, the disruptors aren't always a bad thing, right, from the policy perspective or an economic perspective. In most cases, they're, they're a good thing. And so what we try to and how we've positioned ourselves is looking at, okay, companies or organizations, associations that maybe have a new idea that maybe they're they're you know considered a disruptor uh, but it's not you know they'll only bring a positive benefit to the policy world and then to our real world and so finding that nexus point between where startups or organizations need to start engaging and informing and educating governments about hey this is a new technology that you don't know about the regulatory world that you're operating in isn't going to exist in 5 years because of what we've come up with and those companies, those, you know, individuals and organizations need a voice just like everybody else. And, you know, uh, today's disruptors are tomorrow's incumbents. And I think that that's an, also an important uh, component to this. And, you know, when people say, oh, you know, lobbying is terrible. I said, well, you know, the shirt you're wearing, the car you're driving, the food you ate, uh, the bed you're going to sleep in. All of those people are in some way, shape or form talking or engaging with the government to ensure active supply lines, solid labor laws, you know, the rule of law is, is, is kept in place that things are fair. And so, you know, obviously as government becomes larger and larger and more and more important in our daily lives, government relations as a whole 
is going to become more important. And companies having the right initial conditions and strategies and tactics in place to do those things is where we uh, have positioned ourselves. And again, to your point, we're doing it in a non-traditional way. And I think that's why uh, we're seeing such growth of this uh, in our first year. What are the challenges of working in a fairly traditional space in a non-traditional way? I mean, the easiest answer to that is that you're doing something differently than has always been done. And everybody's very comfortable with how it's being done. And, you know, incumbents in either space, whether it's the corporate side or on the government affairs side, have built this system and are either benefiting or maybe not betting from it, uh, benefiting from it. But we are looking at it as like a startup. We're doing it in a lot of cases for startups. And what we're seeing is people are, you know, at first it was, oh, that's cute, kids, you know, like have fun with that. And then now all of a sudden people are starting to call us and say, wait, what are you guys doing again? Like, can we can we talk about this? And and it's really been, you know, sort of, as I said, Mary, we'll roll our eyes here, but is, you know, it's the frog in boiling water, right? If you start it on boiling, you toss the frog in, it hops out. If you uh, slowly turn it up, then uh, that frog is going to get cooked. And I would add to with speaking with people that have reached out to us asking just to get to know us and potentially using us to help them solve a problem. There, There's a lot of trepidation. A lot of people are scared to engage the government. I think that's a really big challenge because they see this very confusing language in front of them. They see these people they don't know. They think about, well, if I open my door up this way, what else is, what else is, what am I getting myself into? And there's no guarantee that what, when you engage the government, you're going to get the outcome you want. And I think that's a big, that, that's a challenge for us to tell that story of the successes of engaging. And no, you may not get exactly this, but you're really creating this avenue where you can operate your business in a better environment, even if you're not getting the exact goal you thought you would on the other end. You have a couple of stories about uh, successes in, uh, in, in that work. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we've got, we're, we're starting to stack them up in our first year, but a, a lot too is, is the philosophy behind why we started and sort of how to look at things from a non-traditional way, you know, and Mary and I having worked together, you know, in a policy center, I think it became pretty apparent that I was a non-traditional thinker uh, there. And we had some, some real. We uh, like to say bull in a China shop, but when you're a bunch of <laughs> academics, and you have Jason come in who, from the Hill is a bit rowdy. <laughs> well, I think I even saw a reference to you as a contrarian. Can you tell me a little bit about that, that reference as a contrarian? You've done your homework or you've talked to Kelly. I'm not sure, but yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the the least political way I can say this, from a Peter Thiel perspective, I, I come to, you know, we both do. Uh, come to government affairs and come to our you know our professional careers from a contrarian perspective is and in part I think that's borne by our non-traditional path to this point. And I think that to Mary's comments a minute ago about how some people are kind of scared to engage or some people would rather maybe hedge their bets and 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 not move forward with something because they're afraid of failure. You know, we talk a lot about crashing rockets, right? We talk a lot about we need to, you know, try something different. Everybody else is over here doing the same thing. And one of the you know things that we noticed when we were doing some policy work um, at Mercatus Center was, hey, these the same thousand people are fighting for the same 10 jobs, the same 10 meetings, the same 10 things. What if we go around this? What if we what if we did it a different way? 
And we had a regulatory uh, research project that the research center was pushing out. And we said, you know, maybe rather than sending 10,000 emails and looking at this, let's focus on like the, the 100 people that we think will care about this. And at the end of the day, we got 100% adoption from this one event that we did um, in terms of regulatory reform effort at the state level. And it was so successful that that later President Trump ended up using that regulatory reduction model as his model. And whether you agree or disagree on regulatory reform or regulatory reduction efforts, the point is that it was that non-traditional contrarian point of view. Everybody else is doing it this way. Let's try not just try something different, right, but apply evidence-based learning, deductive reasoning, Socratic reasoning, and start to focus on what's possible and go from a first principles perspective. And I think that when you break things down and you, know, and you create a first principles framework, you're reasoning up different than other people are, right? Because they're leaning on their bias. They're leaning on maybe their specific experience or what they think their boss wants to hear. And when you come from a first principles perspective from, again, a company or for our clients, um, we're seeing those successes pile up. And that's, again, because we're not following a formula. We're reasoning up from first principles uh, based on their needs and, and their situation. Speaking a little bit about everyone, in a conversation recently, someone said uh, or made this statement, I'd like you to comment on it a little bit, and that is, it's not easy to do business with government unless you have a lot of money. What I would say, more than having a lot of money, it's having a head start. I think that it's important to know where you are. And this is the on the contrarian side that we were talking about a minute ago is, Hey, okay, you've got an entrenched incumbent that's been here for a hundred years. They developed all of these relationships. You're starting at square one. You don't have an enormous budget. What's the first thing you can do well, right? What's the second thing you can do well. And that's something that startups know better than anybody is that quick iteration and, uh, and, and, and adaption process. Right? So I think that that's an important thing. So yes, you do need money. It does take time. Don't kid yourself. Um, you know, we say to, to people sometimes, if you just want to check from the government, go, go to the unemployment line, right? If that's all you're looking for, there, there is a service there, but that isn't what your business needs or what you need. So it's, it definitely takes time. It takes money and expectations, uh, but it doesn't necessarily require a lot of money. Right. I would say it definitely can be easier with money, um, especially when you're on the political side. Of, of items like donating to political candidates, but in terms of policy and getting actually good policy written, it's time is valuable. Research is incredibly valuable. And that's something that when you're in a hurry with your business, you don't necessarily want to pay for the research to get the lay of the land, but it is critical to know like, okay, this is what we're, these are the people we're really going to be working with in this government space. These are the other players and it's not the fun thing to pay for. And it's not the get out there thing to pay for, but it actually, it's money well spent. So for people that are on it, don't have as many resources, resources as say a large incumbent or a huge breakthrough industry like crypto, that's the place I would recommend starting. It's just understanding what is, why things are the way they are. As a director for Downey Unified, we have really been focusing on career and technical education uh, and preparing students for the workforce, for high wage, high demand uh, jobs. Uh, but a good part of that really is uh, connecting education to industry. And as I read about your company, Terrapin, it looks like you're working hard to connect small business to government mm -hmm. or to governance and uh, developing that relationship. 
it was a little bit hard for me to figure out whether or not you were an agency or a tech company because there was some references to salespeople get Salesforce, marketers get HubSpot. We want, can you finish that sentence for me? Yeah, government affairs gets Terrapin. <laughs> or we said, yeah, shoe leather. So right now we're really in a, to answer your question, a hybrid mode of we have a platform, we have a product that we're bootstrapping ourselves that we want to build so that it can be sold and anyone can use it to run their own government affairs and receive the information and knowledge that they need to do. But we do the majority of like our revenue stream right now is traditional government affairs agency and a consultancy helping our clients navigate these processes while also giving them access to our tools we're trying to build so that we can iterate on those and make them better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is an evolution, right? You know, it's the world's you know second oldest profession, depending on who you ask. And it's, you know, unraveling a large ball of wax. And so we we took sort of a long, again, to the contrarian point, took sort of a long-term view and said, okay, this is, you know, we have to see what we can productize, right? What we can automate. And we have done that, but also where are, is that direct handholding consulting work required? You don't want to shoehorn someone into a piece of technology that doesn't work for them. You know, we're not a tradition. We're not ever going to be a traditional SaaS provider more towards the, the past platform as a service, you know, type of provider into the future. And so you've got to be careful. You know, one client might not be as savvy as another when it comes to technology. And so we do have to sort of customize and tailor make each uh, each project uh, for for the client, and again, that comes from you know that first principles framework. What can they do? What's their scale rate? What do they need to you know? What's the breadth of their project? And create a system that works for each of them. And, and luckily, we're able to sort of straddle that fence, and we can provide both types of services today. Great. The program is uh, named Future Groove, and that's where we really talk about the future of work uh, with a focus on students and preparing an educated workforce uh, for the future, a place where people find their purpose and their passion. And then they never really work another day of their life as the saying goes, because they're directly connected to what it is that they're really interesting. We're seeing among students today at the high school level and in the, in the uh, early college years, students who are extremely interested in civic topics uh, issues like the environment, uh, you mentioned cryptocurrency, alternate approaches to governance. And yet we're also seeing within society a highly polarized political landscape. Um, what advice or what comments, thoughts do you have about uh, students who are preparing for their future and wanting to uh, have a future in purposeful work? but really needing to interact with uh, the government and having a relationship with the government. But in this context, what thoughts do you have along those lines in terms of preparing students in order to be conversant and to have a certain amount of dexterity in their workplace in the future? What I would say, I, I talked with a, my alumni class a couple of years ago, just right before the pandemic, if I, if I recall correctly, one of the things that I said to the you know the juniors and seniors of that class was to don't kid yourself and to think that anybody owes you anything. That if you want to 
play in this space, if you want to, you know, uh, go to that dance, it's going to require a whole lot of sacrifice and a whole lot of work. Your, your ego is going to get bruised and you need to remember, you, know, you need to grow a thick skin, you know, rhino hide, as they used to say in the Marines. And what I would also say is your personal politics cannot influence or impact your organization's. Many of the large tech companies are are experiencing that now. A lot of that increased polarization, you know, from from my estimation, is that we're we're applying personal politics to corporate politics. And once that happens, right now, big tech can't has no one to blame but themselves for Republican legislatures or governors going after them for certain things because they've clearly picked a political side. That's not a political statement. That's a fact. I think that's a factual objective statement. And so they, they can't be surprised when, which is probably why they hire more Republican lobbyists than they do Democrats because they see where their risk is. And so I think that we need to, that younger professionals um, also need to take some things that they see in the political world with a grain of salt and, and understand and have some wisdom, right? I think that's what's missing from our political debate right now is wisdom. And I think that you know, so young people that are getting ready to come out of college or high school and you're sort of looking at, you know, you're an idealist, right? I was an idealist, you know, and then four days into college, September 11th happens, right? My world came crashing down. So, you know, understand that the world can change in an instant and to have the humility to know that you might have a harder road than you were expecting or hoping for. And but to never infect your organization's politics with your own. Because unless it's your, your one person show, it's your company and you're, it's called My Politics, you know, LLC, you know, don't don't bring your own personal politics into it, because if you're looking for long term political stability and ROI over the long term, you're not going to do it by being a partisan political actor. Right. And I would add, I think there's everything is designed to influence us, especially and we're becoming more and more and more in that world. So think about the what you're taking in. Who's about, who is trying to influence in you that and have perspective on that. I'm seeing this is an issue everywhere. Why is that? What caused that? Kind of delve a little deeper into that and like maybe just come with a curious and questioning attitude as to why that is. And of course, like be passionate in what you do. If this is something, if you are a, you love the environment, you're worried about where this world is headed. A lot of people are in terms of the environmental impact of how we live today. Well, think about what you can do first and think about if you want to get that message out there, how you can be active in your community to make that better. And because there's a lot of people who are operating this world on the, under the guise of helping the environment, but they're actually causing more harm than help and losing a lot of credibility in the meantime. So just, I think, always questioning yourself, too, and what you're consuming is just a great way to start. And that'll lead you to a better way to pushing forward with your passion project. Well, Jason and Mary, believe it or not, we've come to the end of our time uh, here in uh, talking about these important issues of developing a relationship with, uh, with government and governance. I mentioned finding your future groove and a groove filled with passion and purpose. What does a future groove look like for Jason and Mary in three to five years? Yeah, a happy clientele. Like hopefully, you know, ideally you're able to solve your clients' issues and they can go about their lives and let's go about ours and continue to serve new people. But if should they be coming against, like there's some really large issues, like we kind of referenced them in this call, um, education technology, um, energy, right? That we would love to be a part of like, hopefully in the next three to five years, we do have like less 
polarization, more political stability, where we can actually like move the ball forward on these things rather than tossing it back and forth and everyone throwing their hands up. I would love, and I would love for us to be a part of those wins that happen. Well, Mary and Jason, thank you so much for joining us today on Future Groove. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Future Groove podcast. You can find the show notes for this and other episodes on the Future Groove website by connecting to futuregroove.com. You'll also find links to organizations and resources referenced in today's conversation. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us. Our email address is john at futuregroove.com. We are especially grateful for our executive producer, Kelly Cooper, and our pre- and post-production engineer and studio master, Nicholas Chamberlain, at EveryWord Media. Until next time, I'm John Harris wishing you all the best in finding your future groove.